Welcome to Rainbow Puppy Science Lab. It's the world's only lab dedicated exclusively to the study of all things awesome. Every episode, we'll explore a different subject and figure out what makes it great. So goggles on, awesomeologists. This might get messy. But we're about to discover something, something awesome. awesome. Hi, welcome to Rainbow Puppy Science Lab. I'm Adkiss. And I'm Kyle. As a parent and a teacher, I always want to make sure we're learning. But as a kid, I want to make sure it's always something fun. Like this week, we're exploring chocolate. Now, if you recall at the end of last week's episode, we shared two stories and challenged you to try to tell truth from fiction. It's a little game we like to call fact or fake. Here's your first story. When we think of chocolate, most people immediately think of chocolate bars, chocolate chips, and other solid sweets. But initially, people didn't use it as a snack. They would use chocolate for medicine, like a balm they would spread across the skin to heal cuts or scrapes, or as a beauty treatment. Imagine going to the spa and getting a chocolate mask covering your face. Mmm, that sounds delicious. Or... There's an old saying that money doesn't grow on trees, but historically it did, at least for the Mayan and Aztec people. They used cacao beans as currency to trade for goods and services. So there you have it, two totally cool bits of trivia. One of them is an absolutely amazing, totally true fact, but the other is just incredible, meaning it's not credible because it's totally fake. Which seems too good to be true. Are there any details that make one seem a little sus? If you need a moment to think about it, that's okay. Pause the show if you need to. We'll be right here when you get back. Now, as a matter of fact, the true story is... Drumroll, please. Um, Dad, that's a chocolate cock. It's fine. I mean, that's the mixer that helps pressing chocolate. I'm sure there are some rollers in there. Let's just roll with it. Now, the true story was... That cacao beans were used as currency. The Mayan and Aztec people considered chocolate to be the drink of the gods, and it was a big part of their culture. Archaeologists have found trade records listing the prices of various items in relation to cacao beans. Basically, people treated it as money, saying something was worth 10 beans or something else would be worth 20 beans. Now, if you thought people used melted chocolate for healing, you weren't too far off. There are some indications that chocolate may have been used as a medicine, but it wasn't smeared across the skin. People drank it. In fact, people would drink chocolate for all sorts of reasons, as a part of a religious ritual, to prepare for war, or even just as a refreshing drink. Of course, to really understand how something came to be so awesome, I think it's important to go back and understand its roots. Let's go back and see how it all began. Sounds to me like it's time to break out Rainbow Puppy Science Lab's super advanced future technology, the Wayback Machine. Uh, Dad, I think it melted. Ugh. 
I think we might have left it out in the sun too long. It's all melty and dripping all over the place. Oddly enough, a drippy liquid is perfect for us to talk about how chocolate began. Chocolate is ancient, but chocolate as we know it today in candy bars is relatively recent. The cacao tree grows in the tropics around the equator. People first started to enjoy the fruits on this tree thousands of years ago. It was first discovered in the Amazon basin and cultivated by the Olmec people, then the Mayans. But they didn't make candy bars from it, they drank it. So they discovered hot chocolate before they made candy with it? Still sounds pretty sweet. Not exactly. There is a big difference between hot cocoa as we know and love today and the drink made from the cacao beans brewed thousands of years ago. The Olmec were one of the first civilizations in Central America, and they were among the first to brew chocolate. Then the Mayans and Aztecs continued the tradition. It is hard to say who got the idea or how, but someone living a few thousand years ago saw a cacao tree growing in the Amazon and started experimenting. What do you mean? Well, you don't just drop the fruit of a cocoa tree in some water and have a delicious drink. The tree grows pods filled with a white pulp, and inside of that, you would find the seeds, which are called cacao beans. So someone had to cut open a pod to get out the seeds, and that was just the start. The cacao beans would be roasted, then ground up and mixed with chilies to give it some flavor. They would pour this mixture from one pot to another, creating a thick, foamy fluid. Imagine being the first person to try that drink. I see your point, but I guess back in the day, people were just a bit more willing to try different things with their food and drinks. So, how did it taste? It was a bitter drink, but spices like chilies or cinnamon would make it more palatable. Our word chocolate comes from the Mayan word chocolá, which means bitter water, and the Aztecs called it chocolatl. They thought it was the drink of the gods. So then, how did it turn into the chocolate we know today? Well, the Mayans and the Aztecs both loved the drink. It was used in various rituals and also just for a refreshing drink. Basically, people would look for any excuse to drink chocolate. It was such a big part of their culture that cacao beans were actually used as currency. When the Spanish conquistadors came to Mexico, they were seeking gold and treasure. The Aztec leader, Montezuma, who was said to have drunk nothing but chocolate, gave Hernan Cortez and his men 50 jars of foamy chocolate, which they drank and found to be disgusting. But they brought it back to Spain, and there people drank it and agreed it was disgusting. Wait, so Cortez was like, hey, I know I said I would go get gold, but instead I got this foamy mystery drink. It's pretty gross. You should try it. And then everyone back in Spain said, of course I want to try this strange new drink that everyone says is gross. Pretty much. But there still must have been some hint of something good in there because the Spanish began experimenting to see what they could do to make it better. They began adding sugar and honey to sweeten it. The Spanish actually kept it to themselves for about a hundred years 
because cacao beans came from the Americas, it was rather expensive. So it was a drink for the elites in Spain. Then, in 1615, the French king, Louis XIII, married Anne of Austria, who was the daughter of the Spanish king. She brought chocolate to the royal courts of France. It spread through Europe, but it was basically just a treat for the rich and powerful because it was produced by hand in a very labor-intensive process. In 1828, though, that changed. It was the time of the Industrial Revolution. People were looking to make machines that could make all sorts of work more efficient. A Dutch chemist by the name of Conrad Johannes van Houten came up with a process that changed everything. Basically, he created a machine that would press the cacao beans, putting an enormous amount of pressure on them and squeezing out the cocoa butter. What was left was a dry cake of cocoa that would be pulverized into a fine powder. He also mixed them some alkaline salts, which cut down the bitterness and made the powder easier to mix with liquids. So then, how did we get from there to chocolate bars? Well, after people separated the cocoa butter from the cocoa, they started experimenting with the separate components. Someone got the brilliant idea to take that cocoa butter they just worked so hard to get out of the chocolate and see what would happen if they mixed it back in with the cocoa powder. The result was a creamy chocolate that could be molded into bars. And up next, my dad is going to share how some of our favorite candy bars came to be. Hey, wait a second. Isn't this your show? Shouldn't you be the one doing the work here? I just covered a few thousand years of history across multiple continents. I think you can handle a little report about modern chocolate candy. Fine, when's it due? After this short break. Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Welcome back, awesomeologists. Now, today, I'm going to share the story of Hershey's chocolate. Milton Hershey was born September 13, 1857. Like most kids, he liked candy, but at the age of 14, he began to look at candy as not simply a treat, but a career. In 1872, he apprenticed under a successful confectioner. That's someone who makes confections or sweet treats. He apprenticed or studied under this guy, Joseph Royer, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. 
1876, Hershey moved to start his own candy business. And let me guess, it was a huge hit and that grew into the one of the biggest candy companies in the U.S. Not exactly. He went bankrupt, meaning the company lost a bunch of money and had to close down. But Hershey was persistent. In 1882, he went to Denver and learned to make caramels. A year later, he moved back to Pennsylvania, where he sold his homemade caramels on a pushcart. He was fairly successful with those. He founded the Lancaster Caramel Company in 1886, and he was doing fairly well with it. But his first love was chocolates. Well, chocolates and his wife, Catherine Kitty Sweeney, who he met while delivering an order of his caramels to a candy shop in New York. In 1900, he sold his caramel company for a million dollars. But rather than simply retire, he invested that fortune to focus all his efforts on the Hershey Chocolate Company. From there, he went from fairly successful to unimaginably successful. We all know the famous Hershey candy bar, which has been sold since 1900. Part of Hershey's success was that he not only made great chocolate, he made it available to everyone. For most of history, chocolate was expensive and only available to the rich and powerful. Hershey bars are segmented so that you can easily break them apart and share with friends. He made the famous Hershey Kisses as little dollops of chocolate that could be sold for pennies. Now, as an art teacher, just a little aside, I feel like I have to mention a fun little fact about Hershey Kisses. If you look at the packaging for Hershey Kisses and turn it sideways, the negative space, that's the space around the, the drawings and stuff, in the negative space between the K and the I, it forms the silhouette of a chocolate Hershey Kiss. Anyways, Milton Hershey focused on making quality candy that everyone could enjoy. He allowed everyone to be able to afford a little indulgence and share it with friends. I think the fact that his candies were easily shareable is part of that success. Sharing food, particularly something sweet for special occasions, helps people bond. Food can be oddly personal because everyone has different tastes. When we eat something, we take it in. Literally, it becomes a part of us. Sharing a favorite food can be like sharing a part of ourselves. I remember when we went to the Hershey factory and each of us got to make our own candy bars. I was excited to try my bar and to share it, but if I'm being honest, I was also a little bit nervous, wondering if other people would like what I had created. It can be hurtful when people don't like the food we prepare but it's incredibly validating when people do accept what we offer, which is why it's good manners to try the foods that you're offered when you're a guest in people's homes. It's also a really good idea to give a kind word complimenting your grown-ups on meals they prepare or thanking them for the work they did preparing the food. I know if I ever had the entire family eat and enjoy a healthy meal I make, I'd be so excited I'd probably say yes to just about any sweet treats you asked for after that. But enough of me trying to encourage people to eat and show gratitude for healthy meals. Let's get on to the junk food. What do you think makes chocolate so cool? What would be some elements we could add to our periodic table of awesome? I think it's 
so cool how chocolate has evolved over the years and how it's gone from drink to bar. Yeah, I think that's really cool. But I also think the way that it's evolved has been really interesting. I mean, it's basically been passed on from one culture to another. Um, the Olmec shared it with the Mayans, who shared it with the Aztecs, who gave it to the Spanish and the Dutch and the Americans. People all over the world have been trying something new from a different culture. And as they did, they put their own little twist on it, their own little variations, experimenting to make it better and better and better. Uh-huh. It's kind of cool how chocolate doesn't belong to one country. Like, we made it up. It's our kind of food. It's not like just Mexican food, just German food, just, you know, it's, it's like a collaboration. It's like a whole mix of countries put together agreed sharing is awesome and when we can learn from and appreciate each other's contributions and hopefully even build off of them and build them together it just gets better from there yeah and that's proven by chocolate so now let's look into the future how by combining the sciences of magic and wishy thinking Um, that's not science. We've created this crystal ball, which is guaranteed to tell the future at least as accurately as reading tea leaves. Um, I know I left it here somewhere. Ah, here it is. Uh, Dad, that's not a crystal ball. It's chocolate wrapped in cellophane. Even better. Now, what do you see for the future of chocolate? Other than this chocolate, of course, because obviously its future will be in my belly. I think the future of chocolate will, it will be passed down even more with even more spins and twists on it. And it will get even better than it is at the time of this recording. Yeah, I would agree. I think really the only way it can continue to grow and evolve is with other food scientists experimenting, infusing new flavors and different combinations. Like, I know when I was a kid, like, nobody was putting sea salt on chocolate because, I mean, salt and sweetness, it didn't really seem like it made sense. Now everyone's doing it. There's always new ways to innovate and make things better. Um, I don't know what's going to be the next combo on par with peanut butter and chocolate, but... I'm looking forward to enjoying it when that innovator hopefully decides to share. Yeah. Because for me, that seems like the only way it could evolve. Because, like, the base flavors of chocolate, white chocolate, dark chocolate, milk chocolate. I really wish we had more of those, like, base flavors. You know? Because... We have, like, milk chocolate with almonds and stuff, but we don't have, like, just one new flavor alone, you know? And I wish we had that. Well, so it's always creating new flavors in new combinations. You know, sometimes it's the almond with the chocolate. Sometimes it's going to be the caramel with the chocolate. Sometimes it's going to be nougat with chocolate or chocolate-covered pretzels and fruits and stuff like that. But you can always come up with more unexpected combinations as long as you're willing to share yes always share it 
But now let's wrap up this episode with a little more reliable prophecy. That means telling the future. That's right. Let's give a little preview of next week's mini episode about Pokemon with another round of fact or fake. We'll share two bits of trivia. One is an absolutely amazing true fact, but the other is unbelievable, meaning you shouldn't believe it. Because we totally made it up. So here's your first story. Pikachu became the most famous Pokemon simply because he was the first. Satoshi Tajiri drew Pikachu as a part of his concept art as he was developing the first Pokemon games. Since the little yellow guy was the only pocket monster around, he was put into everything in those early days. Or, Satoshi Tajiri, the creator of Pokemon, loved exploring nature as he was growing up in the Japanese countryside. In particular, he loved collecting bugs, but as he grew up and saw cities getting bigger and bigger, he felt sad for future generations that wouldn't get to collect bugs and explore nature the way he did. His solution was to create a game filled with different creatures players could catch and collect. There you have it. Which do you think is true? Tune in to Rainbow Puppy Science Lab next week to find out. Thanks for listening to our show. Rainbow Puppy Science Lab is an airwave media podcast. It was written, produced, mixed, and edited by us, Atticus and Kyle. Background music and sound effects came courtesy of Pixabay. Today, we covered something that we love and wanted to learn more about, but what are you curious about? Ask your grown-up to head over to rainbowpuppysciencelab.com to find some fun experiments and activities you can try. While you're there, tell us what you like and what you're curious about. You might just hear it in a future episode.